Our first uh, scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, continuing my uh, sermon series, which will wrap up uh, later this month before we begin the season of Lent, and I'll be on uh, to a new series. We're looking this morning at Genesis uh, chapter 32, story of Jacob and an important event in Jacob's life. Uh, Both will be from Genesis 32. I've sort of split it up, so we're looking first at verses 22 through 25. I invite you to follow along. The same night, he, meaning Jacob, got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, In his autobiography, the former Major League Baseball pitcher R.A. Dickey tells of the time that he was playing minor league baseball in Council Bluffs, Iowa, while he was overlooking the Missouri River. And at that particular period in his life, everything in his world was collapsing around him. His career was going nowhere. He was feeling terribly inadequate as a husband and a father, and he was still carrying around the secret burden of his childhood sexual abuse. He was, in his own words, a damaged person trying to convince the world and himself that he was all right. Well, he got this wild idea to try to swim across the Missouri River. Somewhere deep inside his soul, he felt that if he could just make it across the Missouri, he would be able to prove his worth and that it would be a kind of metaphorical baptism, a fresh chance to start all over again. Now his teammates thought he was crazy. The Missouri River is nasty, it's big, it's muddy, it's polluted, and its currents are deceptively strong. Well, R.A. Dickey dove into the water intent on making it to the other side, but little by little, that river began to overwhelm him and sap his strength. Each stroke was becoming less efficient than the one before, and the constant undertow was pulling him under the water. So at one point, he began to realize that he was in serious trouble, and he needed to quickly decide on whether he was going to forge ahead or else turn around and go back to where he had started. And recalling that exact moment, he says, I felt a deep hopelessness and brokenness sweep over me. A man completely humbled by his vast limitations, flailing about in a polluted river, adrift and alone, this time entirely because of my own flawed character. And so he decided to turn around and go back. But he was so exhausted by this point that he was starting to get delirious and starting to black out because his body was shutting down. And as his strength gave out, he slowly sunk beneath the waves. He said that his heart was filled with contrition, and in his mind he began saying goodbye to his wife and kids as he prayed to God 
for forgiveness. He said, I am ready to die. And as I spend the final moments of my life engulfed in sorrow and regret, I feel solid ground beneath. I have hit bottom, literally. Well, believe it or not, hitting bottom was a blessing because as soon as he felt the solid ground underneath him, it gave him something to push off from. And with this new surge of adrenaline, he pushed up towards the shore or the surface of the water. And then with a few final desperate strokes, he swam towards the outstretched arm of a teammate who pulled him safely to shore as R.A. Dickey collapsed in exhaustion. He said later, I jumped into the water thinking I was in charge. I found out that God was in charge. Well, instead of wrestling with the currents of the Missouri River, this morning our Bible story is a mismatch of cosmic proportions as it takes place in the mud of the Jabbok River. It's the story of Jacob, the man who wrestled with God. Now, if you remember, in talking about this family, it's not exactly Ward, June, Wally, and the beaver that we're talking about. Isaac, the father, loves the oldest son, Esau, while Rebekah, the mother, loves the younger son, Jacob, and neither parent seems to trust the other. Now, in that day, conferring a blessing on the oldest son was a ceremony that took place in a public festival that was attended by the whole family. But Father Isaac tried to circumvent this whole process by secretly going out behind the barn and blessing Esau in a private secret ceremony. Well, Rebecca got wind of this and she eavesdropped in on that conversation and she said, well, two can play that game. And so she coaxes her younger son, Jacob, into what you might call an undercover sting operation by dressing him up in his big brother's hunting outfit and then trying to trick a very far-sighted Isaac, dad, into blessing him instead of Esau, thus cheating Esau out of the rightful blessing that was due to him as the oldest son. Tracking this? Well, that so enraged Esau that he wanted to kill his brother Jacob. And instead of sitting down and trying to work things out, Jacob responds to that conflict by saying, I'm out of here. I'm going off to start anew and afresh and leave all of my problems behind me. In other words, it's like that song that Ray Charles sang a long time ago, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. There's just one drawback to Jacob's plan. No matter where you go, you always bring yourself. Now, even though Jacob believes that he is the center of the universe around it, which everything else revolves, God still hangs in there with Jacob. Even in that sinful state, Jacob is still useful to God. Friends, God sees every one of us here in this room and those watching wherever they may be as a kind of work in progress. You see, for 10 long chapters in Genesis, Jacob has been this self-centered, conniving con artist. And finally, God tells Jacob, Jacob, it's been 20 years. It's time to go home. 
after all these years, you must go back and face your brother Esau. And we're going to talk about that encounter next week. But imagine, imagine going to a meeting where you knew that you were going to dig up all of those painful, buried family secrets, old grudges, and ancient hurts. Only as Jacob sets out, word arrives that it says Esau is on the way to meet you, and he has, get this, 400 soldiers with him. Sounds like Jacob is about to get his comeuppance, waiting for him on the other side of the Jabbok River. After all these years, is Esau, his big, red-headed, hot-tempered, outdoorsy, older brother, and with him, he has his own special forces unit. And so Jacob, the manipulator, goes to work. He puts together a herd of goats and camels and donkeys, and he sends them ahead as a gift to try to soften up his older brother's heart. And then Jacob packs up his wives and kids, and he sends them ahead as a way of saying, "Uh, Esau, you don't want your nieces and nephews to grow up without a daddy, do you? And he even coaches his kids. Now you make sure you smile real big for Uncle Esau when you see him, okay? And then with his family gone ahead, Jacob spends the night alone on the banks of the Jabbok River. The late Presbyterian pastor and author Frederick Buechner called this setting the magnificent defeat. Today, I'm calling it a successful failure. And I would like for you to once again join me in looking at this amazing passage as I continue reading from Genesis chapter 32, and we're looking at verses 26 through 31. It says, then he, God, said this, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel or Peniel, limping because of his hip. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would illuminate these scriptures for us so that what we need to hear, we might embrace as you give us a new name and a new identity so that we might become brand new people in you. And it's through Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. So to set the scene, Jacob sits by the fire and a stranger appears out of the darkness and it says, wrestled with him until daybreak. 
And at first, uh, Jacob thinks, well, it's an angel or it's a messenger of God, but then he realizes that it is God himself in human form. Now, think about this. For his entire life, Jacob has been manipulating events to his advantage, twisting circumstances to his benefit, and wrapping people around his little finger. But that night, that night, Jake the snake went up against God the great. Ever wonder how we should envision this wrestling match between Jacob and God? I have a feeling that Jacob tried every trick in the book. All the headlocks, hammerlocks, half Nelsons, full Nelsons, scissor holes, and even illegal moves like headbutts and eye gouges would not have worked. God was still there at daybreak. Imagine with me a 350-pound NFL lineman like the ones who will be playing next week in the Super Bowl, down on the carpet wrestling with a little five-year-old boy. And dad says in mock alarm, oh, son, you're so strong. Don't, don't hurt your old dad. And eventually that dad pins his son to the carpet and says, okay, son, do you give up? Say uncle. And you know that five-year-old, sometimes they just refuse to give up. Well, Jacob refuses to give up. And he wrestles God all night long. And in the morning, he is a bloody mess. All the ibuprofen in the world is not going to help remove the soreness from his body. His hip is dislocated. And he will walk with a limp for the rest of his life. You know, you and I cannot see God, but we can still know him through the blessing of wrestling. Personal confession here. I know that in my own life, and I'm willing to bet in yours too, that God has dropped me to my knees, that God has thrown me to the ground, that God has spun me around, twisted my arm, dislocated my ego, tripped up my plans, and yes, made me bite my tongue. It's Jacob's will that God wants to tame, to bring to full surrender. It kind of reminds me of a scene in the old movie, An Officer and a Gentleman. Richard Gere plays an aviation officer cadet named Zach Mayo, who is being put through the ringer by the, his drill sergeant, a no-nonsense, tough veteran named Emil Foley, played by Lou Gossett Jr. And when Cadet Mayo comes to officer training, he is cocky and brash and arrogant and full of himself. And Sergeant Foley is determined to break Mayo and to drum him out of the service completely. And as Mayo is lying on his back, completely exhausted from all the punishment that is being inflicted upon him, Sergeant Foley saddles up next to him and says, why would a slick little hustler like you want to sign up for this kind of abuse? And Cadet Mayo gives the standard, I want to fly jets, sir. But Sergeant Foley isn't buying it. He knows a con when he hears it. He tells Mayo, it's not about flying jets, it's about character. And Cadet 
Mayo protest saying he's changed and Foley just keeps pushing him to the brink, telling him to give up, call it quits. And through gritted teeth, Mayo shouts back, no, sir, I ain't going to quit. Finally, Sergeant Foley says, that's it, Mayo, you're out of here. And when Zach Mayo, Richard Gere, hears those words, he bolts upright, screaming and sobbing. And he cries out, please don't do it. I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nothing else. Sergeant Foley looks down and says, all right, Mayo, on your feet. And from that point on, Cadet Zach Mayo becomes a new man. I think this is what Jacob realizes as he clings to God in the dark. You have this lifetime of selfish, self-centered behavior, and it's gotten absolutely nowhere. All it has really done is leave him all alone in the dark with a damaged hip and bruises to his body and ego. And I have a feeling Jacob thought, I've got nothing else. I've got nowhere else to go but back to God. And through his struggle, through his wrestling, Jacob becomes a new man. In verse 27, God asks him, what is your name? Why would God do that? I think I know. It's in order for Jacob to confess his true nature to God. He says, I'm Jacob. And by that he means the schemer, the trickster, the con artist. And here's where God is so good. God does not leave Jacob trapped on the wrestling mat of his sinful nature. Instead, in that moment, God offers a hope of change. When Jacob gives his name, the stranger, God says, you are now Israel. And that new name in Hebrew, Israel, Israel, means my struggle with God. Some of us have been through dark nights of the soul in which we have struggled or wrestled with God, like R.A. Dickey or, or Zach Mayo from An Officer and a Gentleman. And it's only by God's grace that you and I have come through to the other side to become different people. Well, friends, God has given us a new identity, and yet we've become new people not without pain and not without hurt. Now, the New Testament has a fancy word for this sort of process. It's the word sanctification, from which we get the word saint. And all this simply means is, in order for us to grow up into Jesus Christ, it means that God's going to send some painful growth experiences our way. I'll close with the story to illustrate the point. There's an old uh, music video called, Is There Life Out There? And in it, Reba McIntyre sings about a woman who is busy raising a family, working a job, and then going back to school to fulfill her dreams. And there are times that she feels completely overwhelmed trying to be a good wife, trying to be a good mother, doing her job, and then getting all of her college assignments handed in on time. One day, 
after finishing a very important term paper, her kids accidentally spill coffee all over it while they're fighting with each other in the kitchen. Now, she pulls it together, but with no time or choice left, she has to turn in that coffee-stained paper to her professor. You might expect the professor decides to speak to her after class. Now, she's expecting the worst, but to her surprise, he compliments her and gives her an A. And he hands her back the paper, and with a twinkle in his eye, he says, next time, try to leave off the stains. And the woman replies, I learned more from the stains than I did from the paper. You know, friends, I think that's the story of Jacob and us. We learn more from the stains and the brokenness than anything else. It's far better for us to be broken believers than it is for us to be intact sinners because it's in the broken places of our lives that God's power is found, that we are blessed, that we are redeemed, that we, by God's grace, become brand new people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.